0: That was really good, wasn't it? Boy, that was good. Are there any more verses to that? Yeah. Do you know evolutionists say there's no reason music should exist? I'm glad I don't believe in evolution. So um, love, kindness, all those things would not exist unless Jesus Christ invented them. And they're part of his character. This morning I want to preach on building a better me. It's found the text is found in John chapter three. It's going to be John 3.16. I preached this sermon at our first chapel session. We call it convocation. So if if you were at Shorter or work at Shorter and you heard this, sorry, you get to hear it again. But if you didn't go to chapel, you're going to have to hear it anyway. So that's good. One of the things that I really appreciate about Pleasant Valley South is the fact that you're so kind to Shorter. It is your university, Dr. May has said this, and one of the things you hosted the football team, to brag a bit, because I will always brag about your school, the average GPA of that group of young men that came in is 3.4. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. The corral that Saying You saw them last Sunday. They're just a wonderful group of people, and they went on their tour, and they finished up Friday night by having their fall concert, which was in our chapel. So I went to that. They just did a marvelous job. They sang for about an hour. They're tired, you know, having traveled and done all that, doing their schoolwork. But that is the product of what a Christian education is about, not just performance, but a passion to serve Jesus Christ and that what you say and what you sing and what you do would have an everlasting impact for the kingdom of God. So thank you for hosting them. A couple more brag points. Uh, Presidents do this. We always do. I hope you don't mind. Our uh, honor society, we have an honor society called Alpha Chi on our campus. All the private colleges have Alpha Chi, and it's for smart people. I was not a member of Alpha Chi. And one of the things that Alpha Chi does is to try and generate academic uh, performance. In other words, being a really good student and applying what you have learned. Baylor University, which is probably the flagship of Baptist colleges uh, in the world. Uh, Southern Methodist, which is uh, a private school out in Texas, you know. All the privates have this. Shorter's chapter was ranked number one in the country. Number one. I have a trophy in my office, about that big. I should have brought it to you, but Teresa thinks that's overkill. And The School of Nursing is now ranked sixth in the state among all publics or privates. That's really good news and outstanding news for those who are going into the Ministry of Nursing. Uh, One of our programs in sport management online program is ranked fourth in the country. Uh, We moved up six spots on the US News World Report uh, best regional colleges up to number 26. So I thought you might want to know these things, uh, and you can always call my office. We have a little sheet that we that we keep that we try to share because a, a Baptist education is worth it. It's worth it. It's worth everything to make sure that a student comes to know Jesus Christ. This morning, Building a Better Me, John 3:16. You know the passage, it's the one we all learn as children that our parents teach us, but we learn it, even if they haven't taught it to us, we learn it firsthand by experience. The Word of God says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a website called Bible Gateway. You may be familiar with it. But Bible Gateway keeps translations of the Bible. It's a search engine. People go on it. It has over 150 versions of the Bible on it, different translations. So people can look at it, sometimes in different languages, so they can read it. Guess what the number one search for word on their website is? You know how you go to Google or Yahoo and type in... uh, I don't know, coconut cream pie. Guess what the number one word on Bible Gateway is? For God so, the word love. And guess what the number one scripture that is searched for is on Bible Gateway? John 3, 16. People are searching for love. In a culture, in a society, you see it. We are literally falling apart, aren't we? Many times people look, and they're moving a little bit toward anarchy, where the natural love of people, as the Bible said, is falling away a little bit, where people are angry all the time, where people are mad at each other, where people are rude, where people wonder, why should I even let you in my orbit? The world really doesn't revolve around me. That type of attitude. How do we as Christians confront such an attitude and overcome it? We do it with the love of God. This sermon only has three parts. The first is what kind of world is John talking about here? When he says, for God so loved the world, well, the clue is found in John himself. John says this in John 12 and John 14 and John 16. He says that Satan is the ruler of this world. Satan owns it. Well, how did he get it? Our forebears, Adam and Eve, were made in perfection. You had the perfect man and the perfect woman. And they chose to rebel against God, and in rebelling against God, they gave the world that God had made for us to rule over. They gave it to Satan through sin. He now says it's his. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was being tempted, Satan said, bow down before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world for they are mine to give to whomever I choose. When John talks about the world, he's not talking about a lovable world. He's talking about a world that is not lovable. As a matter of fact, over in 1 John chapter 2, he says to the Christian believers of that day, do not love the world. Because it has lust in it, passion that is not godly, it's messed up, don't love it. It means don't be involved in it, don't participate in it. Yet God sees every thought, every action, every wicked thing, and the Bible says that God loves the world greatly. Because he loves us, not stuff us. That is the kind of world in which we live in. And John always uses the word world in a negative sense. It's not that God just looked and said, hey, there's a great place down there, I'm going to love them. No, it's that God looks at our world and says, they have fallen from perfection. Every one of them sins, every one of them is wicked. All of us, the Bible says, fall short, and yet God loves us. That's hard for us to do, isn't it? As Christians, we are called to do the exact same thing. How many of y'all have ever been insulted? I was in a church a while back and I dressed in a suit and there's a reason for that. And I'll tell you that one day, not today, but I always dress up. So I was in my suit and I went to this church and it's a good church, but they're more contemporary and you know, people don't always wear coats and ties at church. That's fine, I don't have a problem with it. So I preached my sermon and this lady came up to me after church, and she said, I have to apologize to you. I said, what did you do in my 30 minutes of sermon? She said, I misjudged you. I thought because you were wearing a suit and tie, you would be dull. And I thought myself, no, I can be just as dull in a pair of Carhartt jeans and a Magnum PI shirt. I can be dull in anything. I mean, so I thought, you know, that's kind of interesting that we look at each other in that sort of, venue the way we should look at each other and I'm not criticizing her I've judged people by dress too and that's not right the way we should look at each other as Christian brothers and sisters is I'm gonna pray for you I'm gonna lift you up I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure that your day is a great one. attitude followed by appropriate biblical action will always win out. I will tell you this as a way of encouragement. The love of God will always overcome the negativity of the world. It will always come because God does not lose. He has never lost. And the love of God will overcome everything Satan has. Well, let's move on from the world to look at what kind of love that God gives us. There's several words in Greek for uh, love. Two of them are used in the Bible. One is phileo. We get the word Philadelphia. It means city of brotherly love. It's kind of a familial, pal, a little stronger than that love. That's not the word used here. The word used here is agapao. It means absolute love. It's the kind of love that when two people get married, they are really pledging to each other in the sight of God. I remember the preacher that married my wife and I, Jerry Gray. He had these vows that he wrote out and I had to repeat them. And I remember something about love. We actually used the word obey back then. And when we used those words, I, I thought I would die. I thought I was going to have a heart attack at my own wedding, not because I was marrying the prettiest girl around and not because I was going to be married to her for the rest of my life, but because I am declaring this before God Almighty, and I don't know that I can live up to it. With Him, we can. Just like Tony saying, I can't stand up unless you're with me. With Him, we can. That's the kind of word that God uses here for love. Committed from the beginning to the end. Absolute devotion for God so loved you and I. He's absolutely devoted to us that we should come to know him. That's a hard love to have in a world that doesn't know him. We all desire to be loved I wanna talk a little bit about a practical aspect. It's one to talk about scripture and talk about what it means. How then is it applied to how I live my life? The first point to be made is the love of God is without measure. You will see a picture on the screen. Hopefully the one of me will go away and somebody else will come up there. This young man on the screen, his name is George Washington Carver. You may remember him as the father of the peanut industry and all that he did and all the wonderful things. He made it so that Georgia is now the peanut capital of the world. A brilliant man. And he exhibited that the love of God is without measure in this way. He did not let his circumstances dictate how he would live his life. George Washington Carver was lost, just like you and I were before we became Christians. George Washington Carver was born a slave. He had one name, and his name was George. The man that owned him was named Carver, so he was known as Carver's George. And one day he had to have a last name. He wanted to give that himself, but somebody else had it, so he gave himself the name George Washington Carver to distinguish himself. He grew up without parents. He and his mother were carried away in a raid. His mother never came back. He was brought back. He didn't know his father. He thought that he would die as a young man. And when he went to school, when they found out he was African American, he was denied admission. He ultimately went on to school at Iowa State, became a brilliant botanist. And you know George Washington Carver, through all of history. George Washington Carver also became a Christian when he was a teenager. He understood the nature of God's love was directed toward him and he did not allow his circumstances to dictate how he would live in a world. He created Bible studies in his office. Isn't that a novel idea for somebody who is a professor? People would come in and listen to the word of God from this eminent scientist. And the one time he stood before the government of the United States, he gave God credit and glory for everything he invented. Our circumstances change. All you got to do is look in the mirror. My wife is a wonderful purveyor of the truth. Most wives are. And most of that truth is directed at their husband's. I was looking in the mirror one day, and I always make sure this side of my... This is my good side. I always make sure this side of my hair is perfectly fixed. And I told Teresa, I said, I have this little gray patina right here running through my head. I said, that bothers me. She said, that's nothing. You should see it from behind. <laughs> I love an honest wife. You know they love you if they're going to be honest with you. My point is, I'm changing, you're changing, we're getting older, Jobs may come and go. People may say things. All of this, we cannot let circumstances dictate how we live as believers in Jesus Christ. It is always his love to be expressed in our daily activities forever and ever. People fall into one of three categories. I'm too good. I'm already there. I'm sufficient. I don't need Jesus. I'm too bad. I've done too many things. Nobody could ever forgive me or I just don't care. The wise person realizes, I need Jesus Christ. and Without Jesus Christ, life is losing. God's love is also exclusive. You'll see another young man come up on the screen. God requires us to be absolutely devoted to him. There is no God and something else. This young man lived a long time ago, as you can see. His name is William Tyndale. William Tyndale was English. Henry VIII couldn't stand him and ultimately had him executed. William Tyndale believed that men and women should have a copy of God's Word that they could read in the language in the country they lived in. He wasn't the first to translate passages into English, but he was the first man to translate the New Testament from the Greek text to English. He wanted people to be able to read God's word. That's the premium he put on it. It would not be God's word plus what everybody thought, it would be what God's word said. You see the difference? Even my opinion of the Bible may be wrong. It is what God's Word says and what God intended it is an exclusive relationship. And that's why Tyndale wanted the word of God to be shared so that people would know exactly how to live. Tyndale, it cost him his life for the crime of translating the Bible into English. People would buy copies and they would burn them so that people couldn't get them. But the money went back to Tyndale who would use the money to print more Bibles. They finally got him. They tricked him. And he was burned at the stake, and they put a great chain around him, and they choked him to death, and then they burned him, all for the crime of giving people the word of God in a language that they could read, not so that Tyndall could get money, but so that men and women could read John 3.16 and every other verse in the Bible and understood how to get saved, how to live. It is exclusive, and let me tell you how exclusive it is. since I talked about marriage, when that preacher stood with Teresa and I nearly thirty-six years ago, he said this: "Forsaking all others, so forth and so on, till death do you part." I understood that—that that I was to be her husband. I was supposed to be her only husband. In the sense of she couldn't have multiple husbands, I couldn't have multiple wives. Could you imagine if I came home one day and said, Now, Teresa, the way I read everything is a little different. I love you, but I also love Sally Lou Flip Apple over here. Are you cool with me bringing her home and, you know, y'all, all All I would hear is both hit over the head or something? That doesn't work, does it? It never works. It can't work because that's not the way God designed it. If we're going to be exclusive and understand that, there cannot be God plus some other way of thinking. There cannot be God. I read the Bible, but it is exclusive. Because it's the only way to happiness, to absorb what is in this book, apply it in our lives, and to live it. It's the only way to be happy. God's love toward us is also unchanging. It doesn't change. The Bible says God loves us. He loves us till the end. And that God always has hope for men and women of this earth that they will be saved. As a matter of fact, Paul told Timothy, "...it's not the desire of God that any should perish." But that all will be saved. Yet men and women leave this planet every day because they do not believe. The next picture you'll see is of a young man who was also English, some years removed from William Tyndale. His name is Eric Little. He was from Scotland. Well, Eric Little was a runner. He was also a Christian. And he believed that God gave people abilities in life and they should be used for the glory of God. He was a missionary in China. But he also liked to run. Eric Little was the fastest man in his country. And he was scheduled to run a race in the Olympics. The problem is that the race was on Sunday. And he knew this well in advance. They already had the schedule, he knew it. And he said, I'm not going to run on Sunday because that's God's day. And it caused him some problems. Now, he did win a gold medal in another race. He was very fast. As a matter of fact, one of the competitors handed him a piece of paper that says this, The Old Testament says that he who honors me, him I will also honor. Eric Little chose to honor God rather than compete in something that he probably would have won a gold medal in because he was the fastest in the world. He chose to honor God rather than himself because the love of God doesn't end and needed to be shared not just with Americans but with the Chinese that Eric Little ministered to. Eric Little died as a prisoner of war, World War II. He could have lived shortly before, just months before the war was over, he died. He had given his life, everything he had, to Jesus Christ. The love of God is also costly since we gave away our world and rejected it, God has been in the business of trying to untrap the trap, trying to redeem the saved, the lost, and trying to forgive sin. And the only way that He could do that was come as a man to this earth and give His perfect life for every sin that ever has been or will be committed, the one perfect sacrifice, the great expression of love, and note that God loved us even more than He loved His own life. Isn't that amazing? That somebody would love you and I more than themselves. He has lived in majesty and glory and perfection, and the beauty of God is unparalleled, although we can't see Him yet. It is unparalleled with millions of angels serving him every second of every day with angels declaring at his throne holy, holy, holy. Yet he gets off the majestic throne. The son says, I'll go. I will give my life for them. I wonder if the angels said, but do you see how they treated you? you? Do you? you see what they have done, what they're going to do to you? He said, I know, but I love them. It is costly. The next young man on the screen is a man by the name of William Borden. It's spelled like the milk company, creamery company, but he was not kin to them. He was a millionaire. His father made a lot of money out west mining for silver. William Borden was smart. He was wealthy. He was a blue blood in the sense that he could have anything he wanted. At a very early age, he gave his life to Christ because his mother took him to church in Chicago where he heard the preaching of a man by the name of R.A. Torrey And he accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. He was smart. He went to Yale. Good student. He became president of the Phi Beta Kappa chapter, which is for really, really smart people. He started a ministry while he was there. He had a passion to reach the lost. He started a mission there. And in his biography that somebody wrote about him, they asked a visitor from England, said, well, you've been all over the area. What is the most profound thing that you have ever seen in your trip to America? He said, the most compelling, profound thing I have ever seen is a young millionaire on his knees with his arms wrapped around a bum in the mission where he started praying for him. William Borden wanted to reach the Muslims in China, and so he decided to go and study Arabic and learn Muslim culture in Cairo, Egypt. He was 25 years old when he got a form of meningitis and died. His mother, who was coming to vacation with him, buried her son in Egypt. He never got to go on a mission trip to China and stay. He never got to go and reach. And some would say, what a waste of a life. But it wasn't because so many people were inspired by the example of young William Borden that they gave their lives to Christ. The gospel is costly, but the the cost that you pay for anything related to the gospel, God will use it to glorify himself and encourage another human being to take a stand because you did not wilt in the face of problems. We are always being watched by God, his angels, and our neighbors. Those that don't like us are watching us. and Maybe one day God will turn their heart because we chose to pay the price. The love of God also takes action. The last picture I have is of another gentleman. This gentleman is named David Livingston. You may remember him as being a missionary to Africa. God did something to save us. There's no such thing as a Christian without a transmission. The car must go. The Christian must go. And I don't say everybody has to be a lifelong missionary. Everybody doesn't have to do X, Y, and Z, but you can do it where you're at, where you work, who you encounter, the relationships you have, always saying a good word about Jesus Christ. D. James Kennedy, who was a Presbyterian minister in Fort Lauderdale, he's gone on to be with the Lord, now wrote a book that said, what if Jesus had never been born? Schools, hospitals, on and on and on, how would the world be? He says in this book that God gave two mandates to human beings, two commands. One is that every man, woman, child come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The other is that when we become Christians, we spread the love of God Through our professions, our educations, our schools, our hospitals, every fiber of who we are. That's why your school shorter exists. You can go to a lot of places a lot cheaper, but you can't go anywhere better. You can go to other places where they party, have keg parties, and all that. We're not doing that stuff. You can go have a good time in certain ways, and those ways just don't fit the word of God because don't we love our students more than we love what culture thinks of us? David Livingston, as you know, went to Africa and he served there and he died there. You can go visit David Livingston's grave. It's in Westminster Abbey. I've been there. And down in the floor where you walk, there is the grave of David Livingston. And it's a big monument, and he's buried right there. And I told Teresa, isn't this exciting, you know, to see these people you've read about? Most of him is buried there. When he died in Africa, the Africans took his heart out and buried it there because they said that's where David Livingston's heart was. What a tribute. The action he took, people saw the love of God in him. The last thing, we see the world, we see the love. The Bible says this, God loved us so much, gave us Jesus so that we could be saved and have eternal life and not perish. What kind of future for us? The Bible gives two options. I don't care what the view says. I don't care what time says. I don't care even what National Geographic says. There are only two outcomes for the human race because this is what the Bible says. Some people say you need to stop saying that. I'm not gonna stop saying that because I I've, I've put my life and you who are Christians have put your life on the living word of God which is true. The Bible says we can perish Lose everything, suffer loss. We either go to hell or heaven. We make that choice. We decide. How do I get to hell? Well, do nothing because we're already lost. And nobody should ever go there. It wasn't made for us. The word perish doesn't mean to be extinguished and lose consciousness. It means to suffer forever and ever like the rich man that Jesus talked about who was in hell. Do you remember the rich man? He said to Abraham, he said, send back my brothers, send back somebody from the dead so that my brothers will hear and they'll believe. And Abraham said this. He said, look, it won't help. They wouldn't believe. If they don't believe the Bible, is what Abraham said, they won't believe even if somebody returns from the dead. Now, we think that's that might be a little bit far-fetched, but it happened in the New Testament. Do you remember when Lazarus died and been dead four days? And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came out of the tomb and they unwrapped him. Do you know what the Bible says there, the most poignant, most powerful part of that? passage is it said many of them believed which means some did not believe although a man did come back from the dead the other choice is eternal life I like this word it is the Greek word zoe you get the English word zoology a lot of girls now are named zoe that's the Greek word for life at its fullest its most complete not just mentally, physically, but every fiber of us comes alive as a believer and then one day in perfection to know life the way God knows it. To really understand Psalm 1611, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy and pleasures at his right hand forever. That's to know the love of God. Friday night, I was watching our chorale. When I hear them sing, sometimes I get a little emotional. And I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, I hope everybody in here is a Christian. But if they're not, don't let anybody here die without you. Don't don't let them use everything we are that people would come to know you i would not want my worst enemy to die without jesus christ the thought of that future is horrific the thought of future with jesus is beautiful streets of gold and cities probably of crystal and glass that we can't even imagine, but the greatest thing is that the King of kings is there, the Lord of lords. The way to build a better me, one, become a Christian, and two, be the type of believer that God calls us all to be. May we pray together.